It had been two weeks since Jason's mother passed away, and the feeling that had started his disbelief had slithered down into a cloud of tortuous numb that he could not seem to crawl back out of. He sat on his sofa, wasting away, barely able to think, without an appetite, unable to sleep, so thick and full on the syrup of grief. At times he would rise and wander his house and gaze upon its objects, which from within his haze had become freshly interesting, things he saw every day but that he would normally be moving too quickly to notice. And as he wandered through his kitchen and out into the hallway to the bedrooms, he gazed up at the door of the attic. Jason had no memory of the attic, but he was quite sure he had been up there. Not recently, of course. He lived alone in his home, although his girlfriend Tiffany would stop by regularly. He had always been curious about his attic, but in the past his fear of the unknown in the darkness and, of course, his fear of spiders had warded him off. But today, in the shroud of numb, under such crushing emotional pain, he could not feel fear. He retrieved a stepladder and reached for the attic to the sound of water dripping from his heart. In a way, he wished for death, as a numb deep enough to make still any fluttering feeling for good. Jason hoped to be swallowed whole by some horrible thing the moment he opened the door, and the more he allowed himself to hope, the more he came to expect this twisted outcome, until a sick little smile appeared on his cowardly face. He tugged on the letter that was sitting on the floor of the attic and over the opening, pulled it down and descended, birthing his head into the hollow in the near blackness and closing his eyes, waiting for the ghouls to swarm the bulb, to bash and bloody and batter it, for thin blades to pierce, tear down the length of his body and twist his little form into a macabre meat mobile for Tiffany to find. She had been growing distant since the passing of his mother, cutting herself off from him emotionally, steadily, slowly, disgusted, he assumed, by his weakness, and lacking the emotional aptitude to even attempt to retrieve him from the depths, she would naturally seek to move on, to leave him behind, a chosen sacrifice to the deepest dark. Now that he thought of it, Jason could not even recall when last he had seen her, as the days, the months, and the weeks had all rolled past and together like clouds in the countryside. Jason's wonder subsided as he remembered his surroundings, and found that to his disappointment the stillness persevered. He opened his eyes to see the world as a cursed invincible, doomed to live forever. The dust plumes danced before his face as he finished his ascent into the humid attic, the lights in his house had not been on for quite some time, and he could readily see in the darkness that the room was empty but for a few rotten old two-by-fours laying in a heap in the middle. Jason stood tall and waded further into the shroud, feeling so welcomed by its emptiness and heat. A perfect place for slumbering beyond the dream, where in fact consciousness of any sort seemed taboo. He pressed his hand soft and firm against the moldy press board on the far right wall and imagined it wrapping around him, smothering him into it, consuming him for nourishment. This is where I'll die. He smiled softly again, 
Turning around as his remaining worry finally distilled to reveal by its absence what a burden it had been. He lay down on the side with his back to the wall, the wet wood of the floor squishing his cheek out like a baby's against its mother's breast. Both were checkpoints on the terminal ends of a long, winding tunnel. His path through the world. The busier it had seemed at the time, the less significant in hindsight. And in the last moment, he closed his eyes, unable to bear the bitterness of what should have been a dream, what had to have been a dream. Mum. Mother. He cooed before sleep claimed him. The pull of stale tear crust on his face as he awoke announced that his body, weak as it had become, had rejected Jason's decision to die. He sat up in the attic, feeling a little more sure of himself as he tried to wipe his face clean. It came to his attention, rather abruptly, that the room had not been empty, and that there was a large wooden chest sitting between him and the attic door out of which light was still pouring. For a good moment, Jason could only stare blankly at it, content enough with the appearance of its structure. He had tried to forget his natural childhood curiosity, as it had often been a talking point of his mother's to her friends, or anyone else she chose to brag about him to. It had been replaced with pain, which he had outsourced to the numb. But here, staring at the chest in the dim, curiosity was returning to him. Slowly, Jason clambered down on all fours and crawled over to it, placing his hands on the lid and sides he could feel that the wood was much older than even his attic was. It was dry and weak, devoured many times over no doubt by mold and microorganisms, and yet, miraculously, the exoskeleton of the wood remained. Jason pulled it away from the right wall and was sure it was going to break. It was so light and creaked ferociously. He pulled the lid away from the four walls it was resting on and looked down, but it was too dark to see inside. Finding some bravery, he reached in, recoiled momentarily when he felt something, then continued to search. There was a single item in the box. It felt like a bundle of pages. He pulled it out and crawled over to the opening of the attic and looked at it a bit in the daylight that had made it through the closed curtains below. It was a little gray notebook that was, like the box, on its last legs, tattered, spine gone, pages splayed out awkwardly and very likely out of order. Jason opened it, but still could not see well enough to read. He descended the ladder, walked into his living room, and for the first time in two weeks opened the window a crack. The trickle of light entering the room revealed that the gray cover had once been a deep blue, but for a few shards remained where the paint had not been scraped off. If the notebook had once had a title on its cover, it was now long gone, and the back of the cover was as blank as the front. Jason opened the first browned, leathery page and found no inscription, so he turned to the next, which was also blank. Jason began flipping through the empty book, checking every page for content that was not there, and began to feel both disappointed and relieved. But as he flipped through the last few pages, a jet-black ink stain caught his eye at the top of a page. He flipped back to it to see a wall of text and images, and the unfinished bottom right corner of the page fill in with ink. He blinked twice, with eyes wide, absolutely sure he had been seeing things. But he also had been sure that just a moment ago, flipping through, there had only been a single ink splotch at the top of the page. Jason would have shuddered, 
he would have dropped the book and run. But he still needed so badly to hurt. He still so needed to escape his numb. And so he read what the book showed him. The title of the inked page was To Sever Grief from Oneself. The rest of the page was filled by two large paragraphs, the first with the subheading Incantation, and the second with the subheading About. The wall of text under the Incantation subheading, however, was a bizarre script that Jason had no understanding of, so he moved on to the About section. To be used to remove sorrow or when experiencing extreme despair. Jason puzzled over how that could possibly work for a moment, and then looked on to the line below which read, Note, grief is not banished after separation. And again, Jason was perplexed. The bottom of the page was signed with only the letter M. He looked up from the book, and around behind him. Everything was as stale as ever. His whole life, rotten, but for this book, and Jason looked back down at the incantation section of the page. He stared at the symbols without blinking, and as the seconds pounded by in his head, he noticed that the way his brain was perceiving the symbols was changing. It had ceased to be a foreign written language, and now he was transfixed on the obscure shapes before his eyes, the way he had found himself doing with English words when repeated or read too often from time to time. One could lose sight of the whole and only focus on the sum of its parts. Jason continued to stare at it, and as his brain slowly regained the understanding that this was language, he suddenly found himself able to understand, as though the specificity of the shapes themselves weren't designed to read, but rather to reprogram information into the mind directly. Jason looked up from the book, and in a half-trance spoke the words, Geratu oliba sangrum rerenafik liborero inguo satri arev konzai. Not moments later, the feeling of warmth returned to his brain, slowly, like blood returning to a limb that had long since fallen asleep. And in the height of awareness, he gasped, overjoyed to once again command a full range of beautiful, colorful emotion. He rose from his armchair and looked down again at the book to see the ink recede back into a little ball on the top of the page. But he couldn't be bothered to fret over what was clearly a force for good. Thank you. He teared up, closing the book and hugging it to his chest. Jason, now able to appreciate little things, quickly noticed both that he was hungry and that his place had become quite messy over the last few weeks. Everything that had been in the fridge had either rotten or disappeared but Jason managed to find an unopened can of pea soup in a cupboard. As it heated, he swept and dusted the surfaces of his small home. As he neared the front hallway, he noticed a small piece of paper folded neatly and placed on the small table beside the front door where he kept his car keys. Jason paused, then stepped slowly toward it, but swiftly recoiled when he realized his soup was boiling. Out of habit, he flicked on the TV to the local news station, and he sat down to eat. And out of the portal poured a cacophony of bleak. Wars in every corner of the earth, famine and murder on the streets of his own city, and the creeping doom of natural and man-made forces which swept slowly over the globe, waiting to coalesce and strike. There were always breakthroughs but never cures, and enough blame to blanket the innocent for generations. And through it all, the generous managed to smile as they showered their dependents that they created with their own stolen money. 
Finally, there was a segment with some well-trained puppies performing an amusing task, but at this point all Jason could see was the transience of their short decade, and with a sigh he shut the TV off. Jason sat stewing in feelings and thoughts for another moment before he remembered the note on the front hall table. He jumped up, somewhat excited to discover what it was. As he approached, he saw his own name written on the front in Tiffany's handwriting. Jason took a stern look, as he already knew inside that this could only be one thing. He shuffled back to his couch before opening it. Dear Jason, when you told me that your mother passed away, I felt heartbroken on your behalf. I knew how important your mother was to you, but it is since then that I have realized how little I mean to you. You never move from that couch, or seem to notice me when I sit with you, and it's as though I have suffered a loss as well, because the man I thought I knew died that day as what- Jason couldn't care to finish the letter, but for noticing it was signed two days ago. He had become weak in that time, yes and she was naturally going to find a way to rationalize her resulting disdain for him in a way that allowed her to believe herself to be the victim, to feel not as abandoning, but rather fleeing an oppressor. He understood, but his understanding of her psychology was not destined to quell his hurt, or the frustration that still boiled in his belly well into the wee hours. He begged his brain to give him sleep as he lay in bed, the sun of the next day cresting over the hill, his mind still racing faster than the turning of the earth. And when he realized he had misplaced the notebook that he found in the attic, he leapt out of bed, seeking its guidance once again. Perhaps it would not speak to him as it had in the afternoon, but nevertheless it was a curiosity that his ravenous mind might be able to gorge itself on before happily collapsing into exhaustion. He found it on his kitchen table next to the dirty soup bowl he never cleared. Jason took a moment to stare at the scene in the twilight of dawn so different and somehow more beautiful than the dying light Saul produced when forsaken by the whirling earth at every dusk. Jason returned to his room, clutching the ashen pages of the tattered book, and sat on his bed, feeling their weight in his fingers before opening them once again. It was as blank as it had ever been after his first flip through, but this time he stopped right away on the page that had shown him the incantation. He stared at the little black dot, which this time did not budge. Slowly, he opened up to it. Please, just show me one more time. I just need to sleep. Just once more, please. A little tear welled up in his eye, as all afternoon he had been struggling to forget Tiffany. To his astonishment, the dot began to move, almost reluctantly at first but gradually it revealed the pattern of ink on the page that had been seen many hours ago. A little smirk appeared on Jason's face as the understanding of the words came flooding back to him, and as he spoke the incantation he once again cheated himself out of gaining emotional maturity and outsourced the pain to the supernatural unknown. Weeks passed, and Jason's dependence on the separation spell had increased many-fold. He was as much a junkie as any other, but for his drug being harmless, siphoning off his pain into the ether and leaving him euphoric after every use. Every time he read the words, they made more and more sense, and he understood them more and more readily. The ink dot that produced the written page seemed more and more willing to share its secrets as well. Interestingly, he was never able to recall the incantation when he was not staring at it, 
and, despite thinking he must have it memorized, it was as though his memory blurred on certain details of the script. No matter how many times he saw it, his memory of it did not improve. Jason hypothesized that perhaps as well as containing the knowledge, the book was a catalyst of sorts that allowed the effect to take place. Although he couldn't be bothered to care too much about anything in his new, unnaturally happy-go-lucky state, Coming back from the bank one afternoon, after realizing his savings were a week from being depleted, he sought out the book, as usual, to clear his mind of this brand new set of troubles. Is it a problem? Yeah, sure, but why should I worry about it? Jason justified to himself. As he approached the door to his house, he heard what sounded like a man wailing at the top of his lungs in the distance. He paused and looked around. It was about quarter to four, and the school children were just getting out roughhousing as they walked home, and he figured there must have been a bit of a scrap. The sound vanished almost as quickly as it had begun, however, and Jason figured a teacher must have sorted it out and doled out the appropriate consequences. He entered his little abode and ate his humble sup in the sweet bliss the book provided him. He knew better now than to turn on the news. His own positive thoughts had become ample entertainment, but sitting there in the enduring euphoria at 4.47 on that Monday afternoon, the fickle universe betrayed Jason's good fortune once again as a muffled sob reverberated in the attic. Jason's eyes went wide, and he leapt off the couch and whirled around to face the hallway, bearing origin to the noise. The hairs on his arms stuck up like quills as another, louder sob bellowed down through the attic door. Jason stood silently, unable to blink, unable to look away. His mind raced to find an alternative explanation, to try to fool himself into believing he was hearing things, and when he was unable to do so... A second wave of panic took him. He stood silently, ready for anything, terrified as the minutes passed. He was afraid to even move, as whoever was in there might hear him. He considered making a mad dash out the front door, but he would have to return at some point. He couldn't afford a hotel, and his mother, well, yeah. The silence persisted for another hour before Jason's tired legs could not hold him anymore. He took swift, quiet steps into the kitchen to grab a knife, and brandishing it, he resumed his post with a chair, keeping vigil on the attic. The sun sank hour by hour, and in the continued silence after the passage of time, Jason was forced to reconsider that he had been hearing things. He had too much pride to phone the police, as he did not have a great deal of faith in his own perception. Furthermore, the doors were locked, and no windows were broken so there was no way anyone could have gotten in while he was out. Jason worked up the courage to pass under the attic to his room and quickly closed and locked the door behind him, all while still brandishing the knife, of course. He lay the blade down on his bedside table and figured that if by some chance he hadn't been imagining things and that there really was someone in his attic, they would have to break down the door, which would give him enough time to arm and ready himself. Exhaustion hit him hard after such a stressful day and at last the time came when he was able to let go. Not long had passed before Jason awoke into a dream. He was sitting at his kitchen table, and a stern face across from him belonged to Tiffany, who stared at him, refusing to speak. Jason felt his gut recoil under the tension, unaware of what was going on. He dared not speak, and as he held her fierce gaze, his throat began to close. After the instant he finally blinked, he looked back up to see that she had buried her face in her hands. 
A long, slow sob escaped her fingers, and Jason extended his toward her, pleadingly. Tiffany, please don't cry. He touched her shoulder, but had to withdraw his hand with a gasp. Tiffany, you're, you're so cold. Jason awoke to realize that Tiffany's sobbing had not ceased. Slow, soft sobs poured through the gaps between his bedroom door and its frame in a tone that was unmistakably male. Jason sat up straight in bed and took hold of the knife stored at his bedside. The sobs were increasing in volume, and after a second, Jason was able to determine, via the patterns of the echoes on his eardrums, that it was because the source was drawing nearer, to the point where it was coming from right on the other side of his bedroom door. Jason stood up on his knees and braced himself. Who's there? He bellowed frantically. The sobbing continued without a pause. There was no way the man hadn't heard him, but Jason tried again. What do you want? He roared. He was prepared. But as the solemn song persisted, he could not stop trembling. The stalemate continued for sixty seconds before the source of the noise retreated. Jason could hear more layers of echo coating the sound. It appeared that the source had moved back into the attic. Jason allowed himself to relax slightly and sat back down on the bed. Jason sat awake through the next hour of sobbing and wailing, and through the remainder of the night in silence, when the sobbing had finally ceased. Jason could scarce detect his own exhaustion as the sun rose. He was convinced at this point that the sobbing being was not human, as it had moved ten feet from the floor to the attic without making any additional sound. A few hours of daylight burned in the sky before Jason even considered unlocking his door. He timidly climbed out of bed and located a stray piece of tinfoil from one of his drawers. Using it as a mirror, he peered under his door. The foil worked surprisingly well. And when he tilted his head at the right angle, he could see down the hall and into the bathroom of the other side. It was still and empty as it was silent. Jason rose as quietly as he could, unbolted the door, swiftly moved it open, and stepped out into the hallway, brandishing the knife in one hand and the spell book in the other. Jason glanced sharply upward. The attic door was sealed shut. He breathed a small sigh of relief. But as his eyes returned to their resting line of sight at the horizon, he witnessed a peculiar darkness coalescing at the hallway's mouth to the kitchen near the hall's end. What at first looked like a blob revealed itself to be the back and shoulders of a grey translucent man. His neck craned far forward so that his sunken head buried itself easily in his lazily raised palms. The first low sob in hours started up again. As the creature crossed the hallway just in front of the bathroom, Jason stood, paralyzed in fear for a moment, long enough to witness the sobbing man phase into the hallway closet straight through its door. With a jolt of sheer panic, Jason bolted sharply right into his living room, making a dash for the front door. A furious wailing picked up after him, but he was not stupid enough to look back. He nearly tore the door off his hinges as he opened it and sprinted down the suburban street until the passing blocks led him right out of the neighborhood. Finally, he whirled around, gasping for breath to see that he was not being pursued. He ditched the knife in a bush as casually as possible after meeting the fearful gaze of a neighbor or two. Unsure of what to do, and wandering somewhat aimlessly, he came upon the neighborhood public library, which he entered. The woman behind the desk could sense he was flustered, but he paid her no mind. It had been a while since he had been here, and he managed the motions of idle chit-chat with social autopilot while waiting for his card to be renewed. Finally, he got down to a computer. 
and now, with some scraps of a plan thrown together, began to research. The task was very unlike any research he had done in the past. There were no reliable sources anymore. The plethora of sketchy websites became a vault of potential snakes and ladders, leading him to or away from the truth. He found himself unsatisfied with the results he got based solely on the description of the being. Sure, it was some sort of ghost or specter, but there was no apparent reason for it appearing to him out of the blue. At midday, he shifted focus to the spellbook that was inscribed only when petitioned, and by late afternoon, his focus had finally shifted to the spell itself. Although he was as usual unable to recall the incantation, Jason searched for the spell by what the title page had been in the book, and by the note written in below the incantation. Finally, something satisfactory emerged on the screen as an artist's illustration depicting a being almost identical to the one he had seen in his hallway. The title of the crudely designed webpage read, Vestigial Forms. Jason's eyes darted down to the first subheading, Origins. Vestigial forms are not ghosts or specters in that they are not entities representative of those who have died. Rather, they are fractions of the living, and therefore can be created, unlike ghosts or specters. Various means of doing this include curses, near-death experiences, severing spells, or severe psychosomatic discord. Every hair on Jason's body stood at attention as he glared at the words, severing spells. What have I been doing to myself? He looked down in horror at the sickly-looking spellbook on the desk beside him and glared back up at the page, needing to know more. These forms can manifest in different ways depending on what was given to them. If one removes a fraction of oneself large enough to gain form, it can be a spectral version of oneself if equal components from the subject are sacrificed. Alternatively, if only one aspect of the subject is sacrificed, for example a particular emotion, then the vestigial form will manifest as raw emotion. These forms are highly unstable as they long to rejoin with the caster, and the larger the fraction, the more unstable and the more aggressively they will seek their home. If the subject or caster dies, so too does his vestigial form. If for whatever reason the original body of the subject ceases to be rejoinable, and yet does not die, the vestigial form will seek out the next most suitable vessel. It can be made impossible to rejoin? I can reject it? Jason was welling up. He had not blinked in so long, and as he finished the thought, he felt the spellbook throb. He gasped. In that moment, he had felt a small burst of pain through it, as though it were connected to his nervous system as just another extremity. It was as though this was its way of getting his attention. He picked it up and flipped through its pages. Ink was now filling a different page, this one nearer to the center of the book. I knew it. There's more in here. It's willing to show me under different circumstances. Sure enough, the title of the freshly inked page read, To Disown a Vestigial Form followed by two subheadings he had seen previously, incantation and about. Jason breathed a sigh of relief to discover that there was help for him, but swiftly recoiled his optimism and gazed down at the book, brow furrowed. Even after discovering a good chunk about the creature in his house, he still knew next to nothing about the device that spawned it. It must have some sort of awareness, whether or not it was intelligent was another question, or if whatever magic had created it had programmed it, as it were, to fulfill a need. Jason had an idea. He picked up the book, and glared at the blank page beside the written one. Can you read my thoughts? He thought intently. The ink didn't budge. Why are you helping me? He asked aloud, much to the confusion of those around him. Still, 
The ink stayed put. Jason stared at it a while longer, and then placed the book down again and took up another internet search. His luck had run short as all that came back were commercial products such as children's spellbooks or silly things for amateur witches, which Jason could not determine the seriousness of. Even the more hardcore websites, which turned up what people believed to be real spellbooks, bore no resemblance to the one from his attic, and absolutely nothing in those websites was about the moving ink. It was then that Jason was interrupted by a librarian who informed him that the library was five minutes to closing, as it was a Sunday. It closed early. Jason skittishly complied, logged out, and left the library carrying the book he had come in with. With nowhere to go but home, however, he had no choice but to rely on the book once again and try out this new spell. So on the way home, Jason ducked into an empty parking lot and opened the book up to the page he still found inked. After looking over the about section, he realized it really only paraphrased what he had read on the website. Jason was not sure what was meant by a suitable alternative host, but his greatest concern was for his own safety, and so, staring intently at the incantation, he allowed the sense of it to come to him and spoke it aloud. Jason arrived home about half an hour before dark, and was greeted by the comforting sound of silence at the door. He still opened it timidly, and moved through the halls of his house cautiously. Good. It seems to be gone, Jason thought to himself as he arrived full circle back in his kitchen. He had gone for far too long without eating, he realized. Still, there wasn't much in the way of food lying around, but for a half bag of white rice. He got out a pot and began measuring the appropriate amounts of water, then rice. Jason rested the pot on the stove, turned on the heat on a... Oh my god. Jason's left peripheral suddenly picked up an anomaly and he whirled around to survey it. The sullen form was watching him from the hall doorway. The curvature of its back made it about a foot shorter than him. Crooked neck craned way up to show him its face. Hollowed eyes with lids welted and loose from crying. Its nose was bent and ugly. Its flapping lips sprawled open awkwardly as its jaw hung. Jason gasped and stepped backward. Why was it still here? Hadn't he banished it? Oh no. I only prevented it from rejoining. Shit, I'm such an idiot. Jason thought even as he froze up in fear. As the being watched its creator's terrified face, its expression changed from confusion to dejection and despair, and then to anger and disappointment. The creature released a horrible wail and came flying towards him, phasing straight through the stove and flailing its bony long arms aggressively. Jason bellowed back in terror as he cowered and fell back on the ground. The creature's blows felt like feathers, and in a few seconds Jason realized that it was unable to actually touch him, and he turned towards it. In the zenith of its fury, the form shoved its ugly face right against his and roared so ferociously that its jaw split back and distended long enough to take a bite out of Jason's face, and then in an instant it vanished, fled in a flash out the front door. Jason lay there another moment, then slowly picked himself up, panting. I think... I think it worked. He looked at the spell book, which still sat unharmed where he had placed it on the kitchen table. The water on the stove was boiling, but beyond that, his little home had returned to silence. He ate his meal and got into his bed quite shaken, but he had a much easier time getting to sleep that night. Jason did not sleep easy, however. Just as the previous nights, he was tormented in dream. He would awake to see the creature at the foot of his bed, 
then awake again to realize it had only been a dream. He would look over as he breathed a sigh of relief, and he would see that the creature sat beside him on the bed, siphoning his soul into its hollow eyes and mangled mouth. The endless, kaleidoscopic nightmares continued until when he had awoken for real he was not sure of it. The only thing he was confident in was that he had not seen the last of his vestigial form. It was noon, and at the very least he was glad to have slept in. He curled out of bed and made his way back to the kitchen, where he entered the doorway. He stood in the spot the figure had stood the night before. He stared at the spot where he must have been standing, and later lying in prone. Jason shuddered and continued on his business. He retrieved a bowl and added to it what was left of the milk and cereal. He sat down at the table. The doorbell rang and he rolled his eyes. Kids from the school down the street were always pestering him for money, for this project or that field trip, and he wasn't remotely in the mood. He found an old newspaper lying on his table and started digging into one of the crosswords at the back. He had never enjoyed them in the past, but the thinking exercise of solving a simple puzzle satisfied some primal setting in his brain, and after placing his bowl in the sink, he enjoyed the first shower he had had in quite some time. The sun was shining as he clothed himself, and he could hear the chirping of birds through the window. Jason felt that it had been far too long since he went out and enjoyed nature. That was something he always used to do with his mom. Go for walks of all sorts, around the block, through the woods, to the top of a nearby hill. She had loved nature, and the act of walking through it, Jason approached his front door, smiling, finally able to accept what he had lost. And although he hurt to admit, what he had lost was not all. I missed her so much. Didn't you too, Jason? A familiar voice sounded as the front door swung open. Jason was yanked out of his train of thought, somewhat disoriented, and brought his eyes to focus on an old woman, his mother, wearing the gown she was buried in. A moment of silence passed as Jason looked into the space where his mother's beautiful eyes had once rested, and saw in the voids that she was now occupied by the vestigial form of his own creation. He wanted to cry in that instant, but rightly, fear overtook him. He tried to close the door as quickly as he could, but the creature threw an arm and a leg in before he could slam it. Don't you miss mommy, Jason? I brought her here for you. We can be with her forever now. Jason, you're hurting me. The creature wailed in his mother's voice as Jason kept pushing the door on its newly acquired limbs, but it quickly became apparent that he would get nowhere. Jason pushed hard on the door one last time and then bolted back in retreat through the living room to his own room, where he slammed and locked the door before the creature was able to get inside. Jason, why? Come be with me. The creature bellowed, clawing at his door. Jason paced frantically unable to think clearly. He felt sick to his stomach, and he was in shock. Horrified, of course, but the horror was smothered by disbelief. Come out, Jason. Give mommy a hug. The creature had now started ramming its full body weight against the door to match the pounding in Jason's head. The whole room, the whole world was shaking. He wanted to give up. He wanted to lie down in wait and let the monster have its way with him. But whatever animal survival instinct he had picked up over the last few weeks held firm. At a glance, he saw the spellbook resting calmly on his bedside table, and at once he lurched over and seized it. He flipped through rapidly in search of an answer. Please, come on, come on. And on the second last page, already inked, he found it. The title read, To Obliterate the Damned. The incantation was long, and took up a full right page. There may have been an about section on the flip side of the page, but Jason had no time to check as the doorknob was beginning to tear straight through the wood. Erwo ragna forum lauda ringtili darbur pa baltiri gule korkorkrum. 
There you are, my dear. A sickly voice crowed as the door flung open. The monster lay its hands on Jason's shoulders and throat as he finished the incantation, and his mother's remains immolated violently into a fine ash, which Jason found himself inhaling autonomously. His supernatural breath never ceased as he continued to inhale, inhale, until all the ash was consumed, and he collapsed to his knees with the book falling beside him. His eyes, wide with shock, darted to the about section which his fingers found on the other side of the page as he choked and sputtered to repay his oxygen debt. About. This spell disintegrates the damned, and using the caster's body as a catalyst, banishes them to the crooked plane, the realm of Malsynth the Twisted, who in his dying breath vowed to walk the earth once more. After the portal is opened, the vessel will be contested. May the strongest of will survive. Jason found that he could no longer draw breath. His eyes felt like they were about to burst from his skull and he was being crushed under the weight of some invisible force. He so desperately wanted to live after having come so far. He clung to the book tightly and crawled, winded, mouth agape, in a look of absolute despair, dragging the book with him as the ink receded once more into a dot. No! Help me! He wheezed. Help me! He tried to flip through the pages once more, but he simply could not find the dexterity. With wrath, he stared at the fickle ink dot, which just seemed to stare blankly back at him. There was a burning growing in his torso, worse than any pain he had ever felt, and he collapsed onto his side and rolled over onto his back and pulled up his shirt. A blood-red rune, like the ones the book had provided for the incantations, sat over his solar plexus, spawned there by his now corrupt vasculature. He could read it instantly. In fact, he could finally recall all the incantations from memory. He was becoming something else, and his eyes momentarily rolled back in his head as he panted the name now inscribed ornamentally on his vessel, the Twisted One. Jason's head rolled sideways toward the spellbook as a torrent of vomit made its way out of him. The ink was finally changing, moving. Yes! His tired mind, now numb with suffering, pushed out enthusiasm as well as it could but his final exhale swiftly heralded that he had lost the battle. Control of his limbs was lost, and he could feel a presence inside him, trying them as its own, working them out and stretching them like a baby coming into its own. The page was blank, but for a rune, and lying under the attic, Jason's last light delivered his eyes the words, Welcome back, master.